Hello, this is Bixby. Welcome to the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast. Here is your host, Roger Kibbe. Hello, Bixby Developer Chat listeners. Today, I have the honor of talking with John Stein. John is the Executive Director of Open Voice Network, an organization driving standardization in voice. And I'm sure we'll be discussing a lot of that today. Before driving voice standardization, John spent many years working in retail technology, strategy, and sales, and I've known John for many, many years. John, welcome to the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast. Please introduce yourself. Roger, thank you, and thanks for this opportunity. John Stein, uh, up in Portland, Oregon, and Executive Director of the Open Voice Network, a career that started in the retail industry, in women's wear apparel, 7th Avenue department stores, better sportswear, and transitioned right at the either the height or the depths of the dot-com craze over to technology. And a number of years at Intel, a period at Cisco Systems, and then at the end of 2018, stepping aside and Let's see if we can build this thing called the Open Voice Network. So, Roger, a pleasure to be here and great to be working with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Before we started, we're talking about, well, when did we first meet? And I think you were at Cisco back. I was at Gap and I was doing retail technology strategy. And this guy, this Cisco guy came and I was like, I need to know this guy. He's a sharp, smart guy, very forward thinking about where we could take retail and technology. And uh, some years later, we're doing voice. So we've taken a different career paths, but there's some parallels there. I'd love to hear before you got into voice and you said you started out in retail and then retail tech. Tell me a little bit about your retail technology work. It was, gosh, some 18 years. And I jumped over to Intel and Intel said, gosh, we need someone to help teach us about how technology is used in the retail consumer goods industries. And I said, Roger, I don't know anything about computer chips. And they said, well, we don't know that much about retail, so maybe you teach us and we'll teach you. And it was a a learning curve that was much more like a rocket ride in coming into the technology arena. But one of the things, and I think especially that, you know, mutual admiration society aside, that I so remembered you from our conversation is that we were focused, yes, on technology, but I think this is a key part that I learned through the years back in the retail industry and certainly as we in technology it's about technology yes but it's about technology creating value much more and i think that understanding it's not what the widget does from a technology side it's what the widget does from a technology side that is immersed into a business process that creates a change that can be quantified that's sustainable scalable all those things. It's a multivariate question, which is why it's so exciting. And I know when we, you and I first met in San Francisco, we were talking about value. How do you create it? Where do you create it? How does it fit within a process? And, you know, if there are lessons that I learned from those years in retail technology and having the privilege of working as you did around the world, you realize it's about value creation and value delivery and sustainable value And technology is one of the critical paths to get there. And technology can accelerate it, but it's not the only path and it's not the only answer. So I think all that comes into our conversations on voice. So, so, so well put. I always say technology, it's an enabler, it's a helper. But if you work in in an industry like retail, in the end, I want the customer to get excited about the products and buy the products. I'm not selling technology, so I worked their gapping. It was closed. I want people to touch and feel them and try them on and buy them and enjoy them. So it was just enough technology to get them excited or interested, get them in the store, getting shopping online, doing something, and then get out of the way. Let the consumer be the consumer and shop for the product that you're trying to sell them. And so I think it's a it's really a pragmatic way of, of looking at uh, technology. And certainly one of the things that got me excited about voice. But I want to take you back, actually, around voice. So you said in 2018, you left the retail tech world and, and went over to start OVN. We'll talk about OVN, Open Voice Network. But when did you first use a voice assistant? I always ask this question of my guests. What was your first experience? It it was, and Roger, is a great question because it was after the first conversation about something that led to the Open Voice Network. Okay. 
And it and I had been observing, this is 2014, right? 2015, we're seeing the first things and you're trying to keep up on technology and oh my goodness, oh my goodness. First conversations that led to the Open Voice Network were in 2016 and it was very soon after that that I was obtaining my first voice assistant to play with it. Will it recognize my voice? You, you know, you have that first skeptical magic moment that it speaks back to my God, it's alive. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 2016. But before that was a hypothesis and oh my gosh, this thing could really change. And it was really from a retail perspective, Roger. Mm -hmm. This thing could really change how we communicate with a brand. Oh my God, we need to, I need to, we all, it was like one of those eureka moments. Oh my God, you look at the potential of this. This is something I turned to my wife and said, I've got to buy one of these. We're going to study this. I'm going to use it, whatever. So yeah, 2016. 2016. Yeah, it's interesting as you were talking and I was thinking about when I first got one and I didn't realize it first and play with it. And then I mentioned, I was talking about technology that enables and then gets out of the way. And one of the things that blew me away, I was like, wow, this is the best technology I've seen to date that it lets you enable you to get something done and then gets the heck out of the way. Because most of our technology isn't meant to get out of our way. Certainly we know phones and apps on our social media are quite the opposite. It's to suck us in and keep us in that little kind of ecosystem. And so what's exciting about voice is it's really, really a different kind of paradigm in, in much of it. We use it today and I think that we will use it tomorrow. So you got a retail tech background, you saw voice, you got excited, you saw opportunities. Tell me about where we are. What, what are the opportunities with voice and retail? Giant, big question. Oh, I'm sure we'll dive deeper. Roger, we'll have to turn this thing off after about four hours because <laughs> you and I will start talking and, and we'll keep going. I th the easiest thing to suggest is that voice is an interface and is a, if you will, a the center of a process for transaction. Now, I have a personal hypothesis, and others are coming up with this. I'm not the originator of this, that we're moving in retail into a world. The world is digital, and indeed, let's not call them retailers. We're all Enterprises are all going to be platforms to some degree, platforms that provide services and products, value defined in a variety of ways. And the, a question then for a marketer, and a merchant, how do I enable the easiest, simplest connection to my platform of all the technologies out there? Amazon figured it out. They're absolutely brilliant in how if you, and, and it's not Alexa, it's Prime. Alexa as a door to Prime. Alexa as a door to all the services of Prime, to making it so easy now, that's, and you see Best Buy getting into membership services. You have Walmart getting into membership services. You see the recognition of the need for a platform across retail. And it's, again, products and services, different consumption models, different revenue models, different value pools, all that stuff. So that's one thing. But then retailing is also increasingly in the digital age. And as we get into, say, call it unified commerce retailing, where the line between online and offline is completely blurred. It's gone, erased. What, you know, the need for information. When is my product ready? When can I pick it up? When will it be shipped? To whom will it be shipped? To, because I'm working, I have it shipped to a local locker or something. So the status of my order, the place of my order, is it my order being fulfilled? Is it on back order? That entire need is critical. And then post-sale support. How do I use it? I opened my new laptop a couple of years ago, and Cortana talks to me and talks me through it. Amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm not flipping through a printed-off user manual because the user manual is online, but yet I have to use my computer to get online, so I can't do that, so I have to. It talks to me. It just yeah. talked me through the setup. How brilliant. How wonderful. And so the... The ease, as you say, Roger, and you're so spot on, it steps out of the way. It enables. 
and then it steps out of the way. How wonderful for that. So in service, uh, and, you know, Roger, both of us from retail were probably long trained on just shopper journey maps or shopper decision paths. She starts in the awareness phase and she works her way through. And some people have the five steps, some people have the nine steps, some people have the, the circle, if you're McKinsey, whatever. But in each one of those, voice has value creation opportunity at each step along the way. Mm-hmm. And again, you'll, we'll figure out as merchants, as technologists, where's the place to start? Where's the place to do that? But I'd say you asked me the time and I built you a watch here, but I think it's the at any step in the decision journey to be able to enable, to nudge, to ease decision making of the shopper, give them confidence, give them ideas, inspire, and then transact. That's all in front of us. And especially if you're a platform, all you got to do is say yes. I mean, how great. How great. So, I mean, your thoughts. Yeah, I was thinking as you're talking about that old metric, RFM, recency, frequency, monitor, recency and frequency, right? (laughs) What is that all about? Really, it's all about how often do you talk to your customer, right? How often do you communicate to them? And what do you use to drive and make that easy? You make it really easy to talk to the brand, right? So that's what struck me. Voice is such an enabler for kind of that that old RFM kind of metric around recency and frequency. No matter where you are, you're right, in the shopping journey from the top of the funnel. I think of it as a funnel. That got drilled into me. It's a funnel. Whatever. There's a lot of this circle, funnel, however you want to do it. But uh, but, um, from the top of that funnel on all the way through there. So thinking of that, there's a lot there. Where today, where do you think retailers today are finding some value in that kind of shopper journey? You know, I think my this is the hypothesis and based upon what I've seen, and I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, Roger, at the beginning and at the end of that funnel, I think there is tremendous value. You know, it's IVRs and call center on steroids. It's voice assistance and AI-based provision of knowledge especially in the digital unified commerce age. I think there's tremendous value there. Interesting study from Indiana University, a a doctoral student a couple years ago, was talking about the value of voice in providing information and the believability of a certain type of voice. When it spoke like Rosie the robot, it was more believable than when it spoke with a Midwestern baritone because it was clear the voice was coming from a computer and thus the information was probably more accurate because it was this neutral bits and bytes information. If we are seeking as retailers to provide the best information, trustworthy information, understandable information that shoppers are looking for regularly, you know, end of the shopping journey, I think, is a place to start. The other right. is simply just when are you open? Where are you open? Yeah. What's available? Yeah. What's the inventory? It's Christmas and I my daughter will die if I can't get this toy. Do you have it? Right. Tremendously valuable. Yeah, I agree with you. It's the beginning and the end. And it's all, although a lot of the success metrics sit in the middle of that funnel often, which is part of the, the, the challenge there. It just as an aside, as you were talking about the, the robotic voice, I was thinking about, I was on a, a call yesterday and they had an AI, like a sentient AI who was, could answer questions, GPT-3 enabled, really interesting stuff. And I asked it, it a question about the Turing test, because to my mind, the Turing test, it's the old, you must convince a human that you're you're a human and not a machine it's an antiquated thing like it's okay we're okay with talking with machines matter of fact maybe it's better than you're talking to a machine it sets your expectations just as much value can be driven if i think i'm talking to a bot as if i think i'm talking to a human and matter of fact maybe more because there's less confusion i think you're spot on there roger and the turing test may we may be in post-turing test times yeah. We're yeah. used to talking to interacting with machines. We're used to interacting with artificial intelligence. We're used to something, that information coming from somewhere, the whole network of APIs and God knows where it's coming from. We're used to that. 
And again, this study, a doctoral thesis of, and it was, oh my goodness, this is post-Turing in its suggestion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We trust the computer more than we trust the opinionated, tired, cranky, oh my God, is my shift almost over, human. Potentially. Yeah, I mean, very interesting, very interesting implications of it. Yeah, there is, there is, because it's been that kind of golden, like, we got to pass the Turing test for so long. And I agree, we're in a post-Turing world where it's okay. We don't need so much value commit. Done that. And somebody will pass the Turing test. And that's great. Wonderful. Academic kind of things, great. But I'd argue for day-to-day kind of things, it's not really that important. So we're talking about that that funnel, the beginning and end. I love the beginning, that top, the marketing side. And that's all. When I talked about that RFM recency, that's all about, I want to know more about the brand. I want to, what's on sale today? I, I've been thinking about it a little bit of much of marketing is push marketing. I get inundated with ads from browser ads. And if I'm listening to TV, I have all this stuff pushed at me. What's interesting about voice is, and I'm not original in saying this, it's a little more pull marketing. I ask my voice assistant, hey, ask a target, what's on sale today? Or my local grocery store, what's on sale? And start that conversation where I'm interested, maybe I'm in my car, maybe I'm driving. I gotta stop at the grocery store, but you know what, I wonder if they have anything on sale I should check out. What a perfect use for kind of proactive voice marketing. I think voice marketing, this is, it's not wild, wild west. It is the unexplored gold rush opportunity. You think about what you just described. Now take some of the latest work in retail behavioral science. I was just talking to Dr. Paula Payton of Columbia here earlier today, and Paula's working on the intersection of behavioral science. I can't think of the name of the book. Think fast, slow Daniel Kahneman, that whole marvelous avoir of decision bias and decision making and applying that to retail and then looking at voice. So as we listen, because the marvelous thing is we're all focused on what voice says. We probably need to be equally focused on how voice listens because the confidence of, or the assertiveness or the hesitancy of the shopper. And again, there are ethical considerations, there are legal considerations but how can we support the confidence of the shopper in making a decision? Because with voice, we can listen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With millisecond response, we can analyze. We can have a sense we're not so confident or we could be more confident and be asking ourselves, how can we increase the confidence of this shopper or at least have some hypotheses on how we could do that? I've also thought, Roger, that just think of AI strengthened bots in the call center is a million person focus group every day. Were they happy? Were they sad? Were they angry? Uh-huh. Are they are they thrilled? What are they talking about? You don't have the such and such product in. Or is it, oh my goodness, people were so nice and thank you and I, is my order ready? And that's in, in millisecond. I mean, it's almost like a, a, a giant needle. You're good. Mm-hmm. You're not so good. You're good. You're not so good. It's right there in front of us. That's interesting, John. You're talking about that. And I was thinking about how much time, energy, and effort people have done to figure out what's the emotional state of your customer or potential customer. I just announced something. Is it good or bad? And so typically what they do is they spend a whole boatload of money. They build up a whole team around social media, right? Social media analysis. And there's, there's a lot of really cool tools there that do some interesting things. But you pick up on something that's right. Why don't you listen to the actual customer talking directly to you? Use this sentiment. There's so many things the voice that now understand and understand sentiment, happy, sad, glad, you know, the, the, the kind of emotional start of it. I, I think there's, I get all excited about that stuff because I think it's, it's going to revolutionize so many things. But actually listening to your customers or actually interacting with those call center agents or wherever they are, with their voice and you can pull out the emotion. Because I'm telling you, clicking buttons on an e-commerce site is emotionless. <laughs> is, is I, I may click that mouse really hard. I may be screaming at the screen <laughs> and doing things, but you have no idea. And so yeah. it strikes me as you're, it's really thought provoking to think about, I can actually measure 
the emotional state of some of what my customers are doing in, in a new way. And I, th you know, that's pretty revolutionary. How and they can react. And as I think about how we develop voice in the enterprise, mm -hmm. we have, and very understandably so, because we're all, we're all new at this, but conversation design, it starts with conversation design, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's instead of 95% conversational design and working that through. And again, it's a huge task. I don't want to minimize that at all, but maybe it's 50% conversational dine and 50% data analysis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, we, because in conversation, and we all know the best conversations are with people like Roger Kibbe who listen very well. We've all been in conversations with people who don't listen. Those aren't conversations. Right. Those right. are, you end up looking at your watch and saying, mm, well, maybe what can I say to get out of this? <laughs> yeah, <Right>? exactly. <laughs> How soon can I leave this conversation and still be polite? Versus when you're with a great friend and Roger, when I'm with you, you listen wonderfully well and that turns into conversations. And conversations lead to deeper friendship. And if you're a brand, isn't that what you want? Yes, well put. It is around a relationship. We all have relationships with brands, whether we realize it or not. Some are more blatantly obvious. Some things that you sell, you feel more personal about. But there's a relationship with every brand you interact with, right? Yeah, yeah. And, very, and, very, back, very and, true. and back to your point in asking questions of the consumer, our grandmothers. I had a, my beloved grandmother in Cleveland, Ohio, would listen to her little grandson, John, and even he was just babbling about the baseball game, she'd listen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And from that, she wasn't talking at me, she'd listen. And it, and again, I think this is a part of voice that we, as we develop enterprise voice and value in enterprise voice, how can we both speak and listen? How might we emphasize the listening a bit more? Wow, I really like that. John, one thing that struck me as you're talking is most of traditional retail marketing is all about talking, 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 and never listening. It's almost like, and I love your analogy, right? It's like the person who won't shut up and you're like, how do I get out of this conversation? It's like the ad that won't shut up. How do I turn, when will this thing end? <laughs> And what a beautiful thought around, hey, voice enables you to, to listen. Because there hasn't been a technology in the past that I'm aware of that's enabled the brand to stop talking and start listening to their customers and what they want, at least in such an easy, simple way. That's actually a pretty, pretty revolutionary way of thinking about or rethinking how we use, how we market and how we use technology to enable marketing. I, I think it's that. some. I think it's something that we need to be thinking about. And our healthcare brethren using voice, they think of, oh my goodness, we could be, let's say, for someone aging in place, a loved one who is aging, and maybe we have a voice assistant or a conversational agent that is listening. In order to, is there a cough? Is there a fall? There's a number of very important things that information can provide. But let's take it to retail, let's take it to financial services, let's take it media entertainment. Where can, there's no shortage of things people want to say. If yes. you only would yes. be willing to listen. Yes. Enable brands to listen. <laughs> Somebody's going to have to come, uh, come enabling, enabling brands to listen. That'll be the motto for some new startup. Give brands um, some ears, I guess, you know, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting back to, you know, we're talking about the beginning and end of the funnel. And I've seen this before. We get the beginning of the funnel and we're talking about that now. And the end of the funnel, it's the service and support and where where's my order or I'm having trouble with this and I need help. And so obvious for voice. But when that middle isn't there, what you get is a, you get a lot of naysaying. And I've seen this happen before. I always use back to mobile. And I remember in the early days of, of mobile, maybe 2010-ish, everybody was like, I gotta have a mobile site. And we were, there's a gap and we built a mobile site. And it was like, the mobile site's not working because nobody's buying on it. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're asking the wrong question. They're not buying on it. No, they're going back to their desktop at that point and purchasing. But are they engaging on it? Yeah, they're going, they're, they're firing up, they're trying it, they're even throwing things in the cart. 
they're doing that. Maybe they're looking up their order status. So they're engaging at the ends of those funnels. But that middle of the funnel, and you get all this conversion. These conversion is such an important metric. But if you over-index on that in a single touch point, then you don't understand the value of that touch point. If voices for some of those touch points along that retail journey, then it's just as valuable. And we, I go back to my mobile example. Nobody's buying. That was 2010. I mean, that's an absurd statement to make now in 2021 that nobody's buying on mobile. Right? It's, it's, but it took many years for people to get there and actually start get comfortable to, to actually purchase on mobile. It was a, it was a slow evolutionary thing. And so those conversion metrics eventually came around. But the value, the marketing kind of awareness value and that value on the support and the customer service were there at the beginning. But yeah, when you don't have the middle, the naysayers come out. Well, and if this was the Church of Roger, I'd be standing up and saying, hallelujah, amen, brother. (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. And think about not only mobile, those of you are here on on listening here, but think about just internet shopping. And it was 1% to 2%. In fact, when I started in it way back in the day, it was regarded as, well, yeah, we need something on the internet, but it's only the revenue is only worth one of our stores and we have more than a thousand stores. You know, it's just kind of this little thing. No one shops on the internet. Yeah. And we don't trust it because they might steal your credit cards and all kinds of horrible things might happen. You might grow warts on your fingers if you touch the keyboard. God knows what. But... Again, as we take a look and some of the research here recently, just for the internet, it's now, what, 12, 15, 18% of all revenue is transacted Mm -hmm. on the internet. And someone might say, well, that's not that much. Well, it is billions. But the Forrester research and others, and here's the key thing, and especially we have to keep in mind for voice and mobile, is that more than half of all revenue is affected and impacted by the internet. Yes. So if you're not doing the internet well, they're never going to find you. They're never going to show up. And the same is true of mobile, and the same is going to be true of voice. Again, to your funnel. There's an entry door to that funnel. Are you there or are you not? And it's going to be impacting far more revenue than will be transacting upon it. Now, on transaction... You've got to have an easy payment mechanism that's trustworthy. We got to figure that out in voice, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got to have the inventory available and be seen. So it's going to be probably multimodal. Some analyst reports well, only 1% of all smart speaker people are transacting. So retail doesn't work on smart speakers. I'm sorry. Stop. To your point, Roger, please. You're asking the wrong questions. You don't get it. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're asking the wrong questions. You're being skeptical about something that would be likely in 10 years will be laughable, right? Because if the same thing happened to mobile, the same thing happened with the web, you're absolutely right. Go back to the more I interact with the business, the deeper I keep that relationship there. And it's all part of that customer journey. And it's all part of, you're so right about the internet. I was just thinking, I, I, I have to personally, I have to run over to Home Depot tonight. Now, I have to go. I need the things by tomorrow, so I'm going to go tonight to get them. But I, I don't run over there. without. I went on the web, their website. I found the items that I want. I stuck them in my cart. And now I'm going to go to the store. And actually, and they have a pretty good thing that shows you it's an aisle 22, bin 36, which yeah. is great in Home Depot because I can get lost in that store quickly. And I'm going to use what's in my cart as my shopping list. This is how I shop a lot of things. And so... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be recorded as obviously an in-store transaction, but a whole lot, arguably more Absolutely. of my touch point with the brand was digital than store. I'm running over to the store to actually pick up the product and, and get it and go quickly. So Your decision, brand, your decision making was digital. Yeah. Yes, my, I decided digitally. Absolutely. And I'm just going over and facilitating the physical transfer of goods because in this case, the fastest way to make it happen by myself traveling over there. But yeah, it's a great example. For the retailers, the question is, with this technology, internet, mobile, voice, is how do we shape the decision journey? And how are they reaching out to connect with my brand? 
How do I shape and move the decision making? That's the issue. And again, to your point, Roger, if you're simply counting transactions, then A, you don't get it. And B, you simply won't, won't you're going to be behind when the future happens because it hap it's happening now. Well, you're I'm sorry, be and it's, it's repeatedly in the case. Okay. Yeah, well, look, look what happened with the web and mobile, right? Changed the business I, landscape. I, and, and so many traditional brands watch it race past them, and then they race to catch up. And in many cases, they caught up. But meanwhile, the web, meanwhile, small little retailer up in Seattle, named Amazon came along and scared the crap out of everyone because they were the first ones to really, I mean, not the first ones, but early to really get the web and then build up an amazing, actually, logistics and fulfillment system. Because I always say Amazon's a uh, logistics company first and a web store front second or uh, third. Uh, brilliant, brilliant logistics, brilliant merchants, brilliant customer experience. Yeah. And everyone else sitting on their hands. It's going to happen. This is a tide coming in. We all know the story of King Canute. His advisor said, King Canute, you're all powerful. You can cause the tide to not come in. Mm -hmm. And King Canute stood on the beach there in England and everyone got wet. The tide's coming in. It is indeed. Voice is the next tide. So when I think about retailers and technology, and I understand there is a hesitancy among some retailers around technology. And actually, you, you made me laugh when we we're uh, prepping for the podcast and talking. You talked about that. You, I think you made this term, the Pied Piper's Melodies of RFID. And I got a good chuckle out of that because RFID, if you were in retail, was going to change the world. It was the most revolutionary technology to come along in, in many, many years, if ever. And then the pragmatic reality of it was RFID is a valuable, useful thing, but it changed a whole lot smaller than what, what it ended up being. I guess two-part question. Do you think there, there's a hesitancy in retailers because they've been burned by some of the sexy new technology in the past? And maybe the second part is how, how do we avoid voice becoming, I don't think it's going to become, but become an RFID-like story for retailers. And Roger, it's a great question. And all of us who have been in retail have probably at one time or another been to the Javits Center in New York City in January, and we've been to the National Retail Federation show. And it's several soccer pitches worth of technology companies, most of them all pitching that they're going to transform retail or reinvent retail or do something to retail. So first of all, that indicates that few of those technology companies even understand that change in retail comes in incremental microbytes and money is made in, in retail in incremental microbytes. So that's the first thing. It's pullback. But the second is, and this is the lesson for all technology companies, and I think it's very much for us in voice. One of the as you look back at the RFID heyday, and that was, say, 1998, 2003, 2004, and I was right in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. But there were countless labs developed by the big consulting companies, and they were going to have RFID labs. And the, and the interesting thing and the painful thing and the lesson for us in voice right now was that every one of those RFID labs focused on the magic of RFID – Watch. Watch, boys and girls. We're going to take a garment with an RFID tag and say, bang, the green light just came on. Versus you didn't need to see the technology because technology was going to work. It was go to the whiteboard and bring your calculators and let's figure out value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this thing going to pay? And had we spent more time at the whiteboard and less time looking at the magic, the value of RFID, which is real, would have been realized sooner and at much less cost. The same thing with voice. I think a critical question in any enterprise, and especially for voice practitioners, is not voice. Okay, let's assume that because your users are going to assume it works. They wouldn't hire you if they didn't think it's going to work. Now, we know it's not easy to make it work, but they're going to assume it works. 
The question is where in a business process will voice accelerate a process or change a process, transform it, or even disintermediate a process or expand an adjacency to a process? Mm -hmm. Where is voice better than something else? Mm -hmm. Or not. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. Well, gosh, we've been using, let's say we've been using a mobile device here. And we think about it, uh, we probably should use a mobile device here. Yep. That's okay. Versus voice will solve in the grand pronouncements. No, let's take a look, a hard look at the business processes. Because, Roger, we both know the investment in a technology is generally a zero-sum decision. If something goes in, something else is going to come out. Where is voice better? Yes. Maybe it enables hands-free. Great. Maybe it is you can we can hear more and do the analysis. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can capture this or that. Maybe it's faster, cheaper, simpler. All those are great reasons, but where in the business processes yes. does it work? So let's less lab, more whiteboard, I think is going to be critical for the development of voice in the enterprise. So spot on. It's value first, right? Where is it going to provide value? value? It's a simple question. Well, it's a simple and the hardest question ever. It's a simple pro to look at value to say, I'm going to look at value first is a simple proposition and an extremely hard question to answer, I'd argue. But yeah, no, I, I think that's spot on. You got me laughing at the, the RFID lab. I am deeply skeptical of anything named after a technology unless I'm talking about the technology. Now, if you call it customer experience lab and maybe RFID was something that you were doing in there, that's a little more interesting, right? Because maybe then you're actually thinking about the customer first and, oh, we have this adjacent technology here that's going to make it a little easier for the customer to shop or have a better experience. That's how you got to think of it. A real-time yeah, real inventory lab. Right. Versus an RFID lab, but everybody yes, had yes. an RFID lab. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, because it's easy, it's a sexy technology buzzword du jour and things. Yeah. And yes, yeah. I, I have the scars on my back that still aren't healed from RFID discussions and experiments and tries and failures, but it's all part of the process. But uh, look, John, you and I are grizzled old retail veterans, and I'm sure we could talk for <laughs> next several hours about retail tech and what worked and what didn't work and, and have a grand old time. And we'd be the only ones <laughs> wanting to listen to that. But I wanted to switch topics, not really evolve topics to really talk. You said you left retail tech in 2018. You founded OVN, Open Voice Network. For our listeners who don't know, what the heck is Open Voice Network? There's probably two to three ways to understand it, Roger, and thanks for the question. You'd understand it organizationally, literally, as we're an open source project of the Linux Foundation. We are a nonprofit industry association. We are dedicated to three things. The development of prospective potential standards, technical standards for voice, as well as ethical use guidelines, issues of privacy, security, data use, things like this, and potentially advocacy. So we're focused on those three things. And again, an open source project, uh, open source project of Linux Foundation. However, if that being said, what truly are we? We are a community of probably 120, 130 regular volunteers from 14, 15 nations now who are coming together to say, what future do we want for voice assistance? What kind of future do we want? What kind of opportunity do we have? How fast do we want this to grow? Where do we want the value to reside and who do, do, do we want to share the value broadly or have the value captured narrowly? This is about the future of voice and a future of voice that may be interoperable, that may be inclusive, that may be 
uh, privacy protecting, but most of all is about broadly a future voice that's worthy of user trust. Can we trust it to work the way it does? Can we trust it in its processes? Can we trust that my privacy will be handled in certain ways? Can we trust how the data will be handled? Can we trust there's a level playing field for all parties? If I'm an enterprise user, can I trust this not only to work, but to protect me, to be a valuable tool? Mm -hmm. Trust multiple levels, but ultimately we're about how can we make voice assistance with an eye to the future, an eye to the future of a world of thousands, millions of independent conversational agents, how can we make that future voice world worthy of user trust? So well put. Listen, if you're not involved with OVN, please get involved. We'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, I'm lucky enough to be involved. I'm, I'm working on something called VRS, Voice Registry Service, which just think of it as DNS for voice. And I won't get it deeply into that, but that's the, the quick summary of it. But I think it's so important. There's a lot of big players in voice, the Amazons and the, the Googles and the Samsungs and the Apples and some smaller players along the way. And there's a lot of people building a lot of really amazing things. But really, I, I always see OVN as an advocate in many ways for the end user, even though it's, a, it, it's an advocate for the end user to have a great experience, no matter what device they interact with, how they interact with it and really say, hey, industry, if you all agree to this common way of thinking or this common standard, because there's some standards work being done there too, you're going to make it better for everyone. And making it better for everyone makes it better for your customers too. And so it's a win-win-win. That's a hard thing to do. <laughs> Lots of work behind that, but it's a worthwhile thing. And you see a lot of, I think you see these kind of open bodies, they're both advocates and standard setting in many, many areas of technology. I think of the web, of course, is the obvious one, where it's been really, really successful. The, the reason the web is so amazing now is because we have open standards for the web and a lot of agreement among the players, and they still compete with each other about how to do things. And I think that if you can bring that about with OVN, that is going to be amazing for the voice industry. We're so early in this industry. We're back in the, I don't know, it was the mobile phones thing. I'm convinced we still have Blackberries. <laughs> if we're the mobile phone days, we're in Blackberry days. Uh, yes. If we're in the internet days, we're in the browser war days. Yes. Voice. And it was the setting of standards, and it's about expanding the pie, for heaven's sakes. Yes, yes. And when we can be interoperable, when we can have that vendor choice, when we have that wonderful innovation driven by competition, we've seen it repeatedly through technology. The pie grows not just dramatically, but exponentially. And the benefits to society gain as well. And, and so that's what we're working to do for voice. It's something that from platforms to end users to developers, designers, strategists, ultimately this will be of benefit for everyone in the ecosystem. Yeah, and we're still an early adopter. Face. You see the stats, and we're definitely somewhere in there. And there's a lot you see the resistance from people going, well, "Why would I do this? I can just use mobile. I just use my computer." And I hear this all the time. And and sometimes I have good answers, and sometimes I don't have good answers. Or sometimes the answer is what you're thinking about is mess done on your mobile device. So that's what I'm talking about replacing. But uh, you're so spot on. I mean, uh, just a quick anecdote. One of my first assignments. I joined Intel in the year 2000. One of my first mm -hmm. assignments was to try and answer the question. Would women ever use the internet? You're kidding me. It's well, it's a scary technology thing. Oh my gosh. Boy, that's a, well, indicative well, of the times. It's indicative yeah. of the times. It's indicative of the mindset. It's indicative of who was asking the question. Oh my gosh. But that was a question asked. I was given that assignment. Wow. Wow. Now, that, think that's of, think about think of think all of the things that have changed since then, but to a degree, we're still at that point with voice. Yes. Well, yes. well, only the early adopters will use it. I mean, would my grandmother would use it, or it's always listening to you, for God's sake. So the sky's falling. It, it, we're very similar at those days. We are. We are. It's very true. 
John, you gave some broad brushstrokes around OVN and, and all the efforts, and I know there's many efforts. But I wonder if you could dive in a little deeper in an effort or two and talk a little bit more about what's happening in some of those efforts. We have, and thanks, Roger, we have a technical committee that has identified three major topics right now, and there will be more topics down the road. And we've formed work groups that meet regularly, colleagues, and some of them are on a weekly basis for an hour, on these the following three topics. The first is interoperability, which is operationally defined as how can a conversational agent of one parent share a dialogue and the context and the controls and the data that be necessary with a conversational agent of another parent. And it is anticipating a world in which we will have a hybrid ecosystem of general purpose platforms and enterprise organizational entity conversational agents that will be existing on various platforms from Bixby to Rosa to SoundHound to whoever. We're going to have that hybrid ecosystem is emerging today. Currently, many of those are still kind of operating within their walled garden, within their security safety zone. But there's going to come a time, in fact, that time is now, where individuals on one home platform will want to speak to an agent that was built on something else. Mm-hmm. How does that work? And in fact, Roger, and for those listeners who have an interest, we're holding a global interoperability workshop June 15th to 17th, taking papers, going to have smart people present on a very difficult, involved topic. Right now, we're developing a number of scenarios that we'll be using to test and identify what are the capabilities, what are the requirements, what must we solve? Yes, it's interoperability with a broad brush, but within that are some very specific issues, a long list that we'll need to resolve in a loosely coupled, light, standardized way is what we're hoping. So that's one. A second you mentioned a moment ago, and that is the issue of how do you find a destination of your choice? Mm -hmm. Across this universe of millions of conversational agents, well, for the internet, we have, which has a similar situation, we have domain name system, URLs. We have a, a registry of those destinations. And much in the same way here, we anticipate having a voice registry system that is where destinations can be registered by different brands and organizations for when an explicit request is uttered. I would like to go to Target. I would like to go to The Gap. I would like to go to Take Me to So-and-So. There is, yes, this is the place it's going to go, and there would be a connection to that. Now, that's going to take an awful lot of work, working with general purpose platforms, working with brands of all types around the world, figuring out disambiguation languages. I use the Target Corporation. Well, is it Target or is it Target? We've got to figure all these things out. But we see that as a clear need. A third is the whole area of privacy and security. And when we think about the Venn diagram, it's both individual and commercial privacy. Because back to retail, retailers have a lot of proprietary data, pricing, inventory, promotions. I mean, on and on and on and on. May not want to be sharing that with the hosting platform. That may be very critical or just the relationship you have with your customer, ever so intimate. Mm -hmm. How do we protect that? And so we've developed and in fact have published right now, it's on GitHub, our repository, a 1.0 guideline to voice privacy, some general principles. Now, I think over time that will get to version 9 or version 15. We just started on the iterative review. And we're also then looking at what are the threat surfaces that are specific to voice? What must we worry about from security perspective? And especially as dialogues are interchanged between agents, opens a whole new world. How do we pass privacy and security controls? Who has management of that? 
all that to be figured out. We're working on that right now. So those are three major areas of significant work heading towards standardization. And with luck, Roger, knock on Formica here, we'll be doing some demos and some lab tests later this year. Awesome. Just a little small pie you're trying to <laughs> tack there. John, as you're describing it, one, I was getting all excited. You're reminding me of something I already know going on, but you described it so well. And two, thinking, wow, this is hard. <laughs> These are hard tasks to get done. Hard, but necessary. So I will definitely put in the show notes how to get involved with this. I'll put that dates of that interoperability discussion that Don was talking about. And please get involved with OVN. And I'll just, I'm going to put my own little ad in here. It's not just, so there are deep technologists in there. There are technology, more strategy people in there. There are more business people in there who are like thinking of the business implications. I think that if you're interested in voice and you would like to see this amazing voice future come to fruition, there's probably a place for you in OVN. There's a place. Fair, John? There's absolutely, there's a place. Absolutely. And the yeah. door's open. The door's open, yeah. That we, we need, there's a lot of work. <laughs> So we need a small army <laughs> or a big army to get all this work done. I want to change topics a little bit. I work for Samsung. And one of the goals with Samsung is a little bit different is that we're voice enabling devices that aren't voice first. In other words, we don't have a smart speaker or a smart display, which are kind of voice first devices. But we're putting voice into TVs and appliances, into phones, into devices that people would buy. I don't buy a TV because it has a voice interface. I buy a TV because I need a new TV or I need a Super Bowl is coming up and I need that 70 inch TV, baby. But then one of our thinking is, hey, then people are going to discover, oh, I bought that new 70 inch TV to watch the Super Bowl. Now I could talk to it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Wow, I never knew I could talk to my technology. This is a heck of a lot better than, and I always think of, I love TV, the pressing, trying to do a search on a TV with those infernal remotes and that on-screen keyboard, which is like the world's worst technology experience, just about. Uh, maybe not the world's worst, but it's up there. <laughs> it's such a natural place for a voice. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts around this idea of voice enabling, I'll call it the rest of the devices around us? I think it's absolutely brilliant. And it's, Roger, is not just because you're with Samsung and this is a Samsung event. It's brilliant because, again, the experience of using voice is almost that of human development. We crawl and then we toddle and we bang into stuff and then we walk, then we run, then we dance. And so it's, and this is a horrible analogy, but it's a wonderful entry drug for voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is, we get used to it and we realize how wonderful and how easy it is. It's that magic experience, not just in talking to a smart speaker, but in doing something that is a media value. Take me to ESPN. I want to see the 49ers versus the such and such. And right there, rather than doing your thumbs, find me so-and-so's phone number. I need to talk to Roger Kibbe. Think. Take me here. Leave a voice text. It's all the ease, convenience, and accuracy. Accuracy, I think the key of those experiences, I think is A, marvelous, B, of tremendous value. I want yep. to talk to my TV. I'm still remote control, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a horrible UX. So I think it's marvelous, and I'm thrilled to see it. And again, it's interesting. I talk to friends, and they say, I've never used voice. And then I'll observe them or have observed them, and they say, well, yeah, I was changing my channel with my voice. I said, well, we'll, we'll go to the timeout. Well, I'm not using one of those smart speakers. I said, no, you're talking to your television, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing voice. That's what we're talking about. It's the ease, the convenience, and the accuracy of the utterance. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting. They are. They're using voice, and yet they don't realize it, or they think voice is voice assistant or a smart speaker, and that. And it can be so much more, and it needs to be so much more. And it really needs to be, the way I, I put it, I actually think it, it needs to be, a, I call it a first-class modality. What I mean by that is we are absolutely used now to typing on devices, 
touching, swiping. Remember, touch and swipe. People had to learn to do it, right? Um, there. And we expect those funny videos from years ago on YouTube of the kid swiping on the device that doesn't have a touch screen yeah, and yeah, expecting yeah, yeah, it yeah. there. But we've gotten so used to that, it's expected with our devices that they just work that way. I think voice needs to get there, but I think in order to get there, it means that many, many more of our devices need to be voice enabled. Without right? question. Whether these big things, complicated things to very, very simple things that are voice enabled. And then you start going, well, of course I can talk to the device. Of course the device talks back to me. Now, it's not going to replace a keyboard or a mouse because there are places or a touch screen because there's times when that's the best way to interact with your, but it's another way to interact. And it's the most human way to interact with our technology. And to your point, value. <laughs> when is it well, value to me? When is it easier, simpler, or better to talk to something than type in something? And sometimes it's better to type. But and back to your earlier point, Roger, that you made so well, it's about technology out of the way. It's almost yeah. an invisible technology. Yes. I'm, I read my digital media in the morning. I just, I should say, take me to the Times. Yeah. Take me to the Post. Take yes. me to this. Take me to The Economist. Take me to wherever. And instead, my arthritic fingers are clunking around and well, think about that you know, get that technology out of the way. And, and again, using the ease of voice. Yes, yes. And using the naturalness of voice. Because I had to learn to type. I had to learn to swipe. I had to learn to tap. Well, I had to learn to, to talk, but I was <laughs> quite young. And it was talking to other humans. And it's the first tech where the, the, the computer has to understand us instead of us understand the computer, yes, which exactly. is a really different way of, of, exactly. of looking at it. Yeah, exactly. The computer adjusting to us, yeah. Yes, absolutely. One of my favorite questions from my guests is to ask about a voice or an audio experience that you really enjoy, but you don't think enough people enjoy, right? Kind of the, the hidden gem question I like to ask it. So what's something that you enjoy that you think more people can enjoy could be an audio experience voice something along those lines there's two things when you and roger should tell you he sent me this question ahead of time so i could think about it so i'm kind of cheating here because <laughs> it was okay. a great question the one that i applaud the most as i th was thinking about it is the ivr experience from united airlines i've been a heavy traveler on united for years out of port by golly that ivr experience is so accurate and so fast and i would rather talk to the ivr yes. which is becoming much more of an ai assistant than even dare wait on the phone for they're very good associates who are on the phone great people don't get me wrong but that is a superb voice experience hi john is it this is it this would you think and there we are and i was thinking i take that for granted now mm -hmm. which is a great thing because here's a marvelous voice experience i take it for granted and depend upon it shows what can be done it shows where it's going and i count on that ivr i can tell we're in 2021 when we're singing the praises of ivr systems because they've come so so far and you're absolutely right john and yeah and that's a great example i was thinking back to my turing test kind of question you don't want to pretend it's a human you want something fast quick and efficient you do want an airline it's pretty straightforward, right? There's a transaction involved there. You want to get something done. And so, yeah, an IVR that's great, that makes it easy and fast and quick to get something done. I love that example. That, that's a great one. It's the accuracy and the speed. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it, yeah. All right, John, I want to ask you to bring out your crystal ball. And the first one, the short-term crystal ball, your prediction. What's that? short-term, say, 2021 prediction you have for the, the world of voice? It's going to be on the enterprise side. It's going to be in the business side. And we're going to be looking at things like Erica at Bank of America and Beeb and others. And we're going to be saying, okay, there's value here. And these guys have cracked the code to some degree. Now, how do I make this happen? 
um, we have one of our ambassadors, Donald Buckley, is exploring the world of media and entertainment. And there's a lot of experimentation going on, a lot of whiteboarding going on. But I see 2021 into 2022 as we're in the invisible whiteboard era of mm -hmm. enterprise what if. This is coming. This is headed our way. How do we create value with it? And I see that happening right now. And with the seeds being planted in 2021 that are going to kind of poke above the surface early 2022. I love that prediction. And you're so right. We've seen it. So banking, I just read an article today about Erica and really taking off in popularity for B of A. And you've seen some things in healthcare around voice and some industries, they're not just dipping their toes in. They're up, yep. they're up to their knees maybe in it, so to speak. But there's others that just, I don't know if they even dip their toes. And that's a great prediction that they will, because they're going to see, they're going to see things like Erica, right? A B of A and B of A is getting a lot of benefit out of it. And so it's customers or the United Airlines IVR and go, oh, wait a sec, why aren't we doing that? That's yeah. great. I, I look yeah. forward to that because yeah. I will say that personally, there's a bunch of industries, I'd say media and entertainment being one of the top ones where I've been like, why the heck aren't they doing more with voice? It seems so natural. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm very excited. And some of the stuff you hear that is on the whiteboards confidentially, thinks, oh my goodness. Oh, you put some of those creative minds to what voice can do. And again, the relationship between brand, character, and audience, one-to-one -one listening. Interesting stuff. Yes, that is. Yes, indeed. For a bright future. All right. So what about your long-term prediction? Now I'm going to really have you rub that crystal ball. Five or 10 years from now, where are we going to be with voice? It's, it's, I think there are two things. One would be the five. One would be the 10. The five is the hybrid ecosystem, the hybrid future. And this is really taking from Brett Kinsella's work and just and maybe expanding it a bit verbally is general purpose platforms, of course, great value. But then the rise of the independent, independently owned, independently managed, independent voice conversational agent, where a brand will must own its own voice and its own data. I think that ecosystem is going to be part of our reality. We will move from apps on phone model to websites across a standards-based reality model. And I think that is what's going to be emerging here over the next three to five years. Longer term, this was shared with me from a former futurist. In fact, the Intel Corporation, when I was there, actually had futurists. I mean, really That's smart individuals. And one of the futurists, Brian David Johnson, said to me, John, it's out there. We will live in a world of artificial intelligence and every AI, there'll be billions of AIs, and every AI will be conversational. That will be our first interface mm -hmm. to every AI. So ambient, when we think about Google's vision of ambient computing and Intel's vision of ambient computing, and we see the growth of artificial intelligence, every AI will be conversational. Not talking to it, but conversational. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listening and speaking, reacting, bringing in context, referring to past conversations, pulling in data, interacting with others. That's what's out there, I think. And as Brian was explaining that, I, I get it. Or I mean, I get it, but I can see it. I love that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's AI is going to take over the world and how are we going to communicate with AI conversationally? Yeah. It feels inevitable, and I think that we do it right. We can do a lot of good with it, too. We can do a lot so, of good. Absolutely. Yes. So, John, if people want to keep in contact with what you're doing, what OVN's doing, what's the best way to do so? Open www.openvoicenetwork.org. Just type in Open Voice Network within your search bar, and you can find our website. Find me on or the Open Voice Network on LinkedIn. And again, Roger, you made the point, and let me underscore it. Whether you're a speech scientist, a technologist, a business person, a designer, a strategist, there's a place and a role for you at the Open Voice Network. 
we need the engineering department and we need the philosophy department if we're going to do this right. Spot on. I'm going to sound like a broken record. <laughs> an ad for OVN, but I'm okay. I'm okay. My podcast today is an ad for OVN because it's really an organization that I've been involved in. I highly support it. And if you want to shape the future of want to shape the future of voice, no better place to be, actually. And quite frankly, on a personal, there's a lot of really smart, interesting people who are involved with OVN. And I met some people who I otherwise might never have met. And I love that. And it's really, really interesting. And I'm telling you, every meeting we got on with OVN, I listen, I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. I learned something. Because there's a lot of smarts there. Well, we've been, yeah, we're very fortunate. We are very fortunate with the talent and the breadth of the talent from around the world that we have now working on this. So, Roger, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listen, John, I knew I'd love talking to you about OVN, retail tech, voice, the future. I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan since I first heard you uh, up there and talking. And I, I was like, I got to get to know this guy and you and I have talked and been friends for many years and I look forward to working together in the future. Thank you. Thank you for being such an amazing guest. And well, and thank you, Roger. And from me to you, so appreciate you and, and what you're doing and thank you for all the support. Really appreciate it. Great. Well, that's all folks. Till next time, this is Roger Kibbe of the Bixby Developers Chat signing off.